I want, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you're in the Blue Pew Bible, it's page 823. 823, Matthew 18. We're going to begin in verse 15 uh, this morning. Now, there are distinct differences between the church. And any of the other uh, groups, organizations, gatherings that we might uh, make ourselves a part of or we might see in, in, in the world around us. Uh, and I, I think most of us recognize uh, that these differences exist. And could many of us could probably articulate what many of those differences, significant differences, are and the reason uh, for those differences. Uh, one of the areas of life in which those differences are especially pronounced or easily visible uh, is captured in the text that we're looking at this morning. Um, we've already looked at uh, some of it or talked about it a little bit earlier in our service in different, different ways, uh, but it, it, it is about, if you turn to this passage, Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15, you'll probably recognize that. It's probably the heading that you'll see there. But uh, church discipline. Uh, and right away when I say that, you probably know, yes, there are some significant differences there, church discipline, between the church and how these things are handled uh, in other places. So the question, when there's been wrongdoing some kind, there's been sin by an individual within the body, uh, let's say it's especially directed against you in particular, how are you to respond to it? Uh, how are others in the church to respond to it if it, if it continues uh, on and on? And why? Why would we respond in a particular way? Now, these are very practical questions because these things do happen. And they happen perhaps more frequently than we, we really recognize or think. But they are also things to which our, our text this morning provides a remarkably clear answer. That's what we're going to be looking at. Now, I just briefly mentioned, although it's been a couple of weeks, uh, that the passage prior to this uh, which we had looked at uh, a couple of weeks ago, begins back in, in verse 10, uh, that it's, it's clear the Lord Jesus, uh, in His teaching, that He meant for that to prepare the heart for this section that we're going through this morning, to prepare the heart for talking about discipline within the body. Uh, and, and it seems clear to me that uh, he, he, he knew that this would be a great need, uh, that the heart would be prepared in the right way, that there would be understanding as we, as we walk into this, as we approach it. And so I just want to read a, a, a verse uh, out of that prior passage. It's going to be, uh, so chapter 18, verse 12. Jesus says, what do you, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? 
making it clear, isn't it? The Lord's heart is for the one that has gone astray. It doesn't, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, doesn't mean he doesn't he ceases to care for or cares less for the others, but there is this special attention being paid. The one that has gone astray, what is he, what is he going to do? He's going to go after that one. We need to see that. We need to understand that. We need to take that to heart as we begin to take this text and we begin to expound upon it. We should see all the way through that simple guiding principle so that it instructs us uh, as we talk about church discipline this morning. I'm, I'm going to read this uh, passage beginning in Matthew 18, verse 15. I'll go through verse 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name... There am I among them. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that you, you know, and we can trust this, that you know that which we need. Uh, and in this area that we might say, a very practical area, uh, day after day, that if we're honest with ourselves, that we, we do struggle with or we reckon with, that, Lord, you, you have provided for us with great clarity uh, what we need. And therefore, Father, I pray that you'll help us to understand it. Uh, there's a, a difficulty in perhaps in receiving this and receiving it in the right way and, and truly seeing it uh, as you have intended it and as you have ordained this uh, aspect of the Christian life. And so I do pray for your help. Give us eyes to see. Uh, I pray for the Holy Spirit to be at work inside that we might see and know and obey with a heart that's right. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Years ago, I worked for a, 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 a plant uh, an industry uh, ocean spray in Henderson, Nevada. Um, we were living in Las Vegas at the time, and I was actually working for another company. It was a chemical company and providing water treatment. And so I spent a lot of time at this one ocean spray plant doing their water treatment. And so I, I would go to this plant on a, a regular basis for some time. There was daily I was going there and testing their water for industrial use and telling them what adjustments they needed to make uh, to their water. Now, this particular plant was under new construction at the time, 
And so I got a chance to see as this plant was kind of built up, the, the different production lines that were set up inside the plant. And I was amazed, to be honest, uh, because they, they would set up a production line. Of course, they were making, this is ocean spray, they were making juice, different types of juice. Uh, and as they set it up, it was clear they had processes in place that they had honed, they had perfected almost at other locations. And so here they were setting them up uh, and... Uh, the, the, the processes that they used were designed to uncover any problems, to eliminate those problems, to get things up and, and working uh, as quickly as possible and to produce a, a solid and a good product. And that's what was, what was happening. I got to, to witness that. But there was one area in which they did not, and it was the area I was in touch with, they did not follow a careful, well-designed process. Uh, the chief engineer for the plant uh, decided to set up on the outside a very large boiler that would provide for their, their heating needs in, on all these uh, production lines uh, so that they could go ahead and get production rolling. He was just setting it up outside. It was temporary uh, until the boiler house that they were going to build was put into place. And so in setting it up, he skipped many of the checks and the balances that should have been in place. And he did not follow a process. And so when I first came there and began testing the water and checking things out, there's a lot of water that flows through a boiler. Uh, everything was out of whack. And so I, I took it to him and I, I, I said, you're going to need to make some significant adjustments uh, to this. Uh, and this went on for a time period. I, I was providing, but everything remained out of whack. And... I, I warned him at one point, I said, we can't see the inside of the boiler, uh, but if you continue in this way, uh, the pipes are going to scale up. What that means, they're, they're going to become solid inside. It's not good, and it can be catastrophic for the boiler. Long story made short, that happened. Uh, and I received a call. I received an angry and a frantic call from the chief engineer, and he said the boiler had shut down. And they had to shut down all of their production lines in the plant. Uh, and I was away at the time, and I had to fly back to, to uh, see to this. And I, I, I think, I don't know exactly how much, but they uh, lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in the process because they were shut down for some, uh, some time. Uh, and initially, he was angry with me. He was blaming me and our company. We provided the chemical and went in the boiler until I showed him the reports that I'd written up that in large letters said, you know, if you continue in this way, this is what could happen. Uh, and uh, it was what happened. But, and that was eventually resolved. Uh, but just imagine a plant like this with all of these wonderful processes inside that, that accomplish exactly what they need to accomplish. They're producing a uh, good product. They're making uh, a significant uh, 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 fortune out of it. Um, and yet this one area, one area that's critical to the entire plant where there's no process that's being followed uh, and everything uh, ends up shut, shutting down. It's ad hoc at best. Now, this is true about one particular area in the church today. There is a process 
And it's a very simple process, very straightforward. Now, I won't say it's easy uh, for us as, as people to always follow, but it's a process that we've been given for how to deal with and how to confront individual sin within the church. And our instruction from the Lord Jesus is, is do this, follow this. Because the Lord Jesus knew that if sin is allowed to remain uncontested, if people just sort of look the other way when it comes to individual sin, that there are going to be significant problems that come from it. It's kind of like that boiler uh, in which if the, the water was allowed to remain hard like it was for such a, a period of time, uh, there was going to come a point at which things were going to break down and it was going to shut down, in fact, shut down the entire plant. And the same thing is true within the church. Now, you may know how difficult it can be uh, when there is someone within the church that is sinning in a particular uh, obvious way, maybe a public way, or has sinned in some way. Uh, maybe it's against you that this uh, sin has taken place. Uh, so what do you do? Now, for many of us, the temptation is going to be there uh, to go and to address that sin, especially if it's against us, immediately. And to give that person, doesn't matter who's there, but a piece of our minds. Uh, and to, ad to address it, to get to the bottom of it. Uh, but the Lord Jesus says here, you must not do that. Now there are others of us that are going to have a very different, be tempted toward a very different approach. Uh, that is that we might stew about it inside for a while. Uh, we might allow ourselves to become on the inside bitter. Uh, we might even share that bitterness with others. But we never go to that person, that individual, and address that sin with them. Uh, we may say inside, well, clearly they were in the wrong. Why should I go to them? But again, the Lord Jesus says, do not do that. If you, if you continue in that way, both of these scenarios, and take it into your own hands, follow your own ways, then it can be very costly. It may be very costly to you. Uh, in your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with others, maybe costly uh, to the church at large, but especially it may be costly, very costly to that other individual, the brother or the sister who sinned against you. And that really leads us to the point of this whole passage. I, I think it gets to the entire purpose behind church discipline, all of church discipline. And that is, let me just say up front, it's not just to smooth things over uh, and just say, well, we just need to come together, set things aside. Uh, and it's, it's not even to bring satisfaction to a grievance that a person may hold, uh, to just make things fair. No, the church itself is different from other organizations, other people uh, in the world. Jesus said, and we read it earlier, that you must love one another. Remember, second table of the law. 
And that's what he calls us to here. And so the whole point behind this discipline process, it all flows out of that love. The love which the Lord Jesus tells us to have for one another and he plants in our hearts the ability to have it. And it's this, to bring the wayward sinner back to the flock. It's to return the sinner to the flock. Now, I I realize that to some that may sound strange. Uh, To others, it may be hard to swallow. Uh, When you've been hurt, maybe you've been gossiped about, maybe you've been lied to or stolen from, uh, or torn down by another person, what you often want is satisfaction, isn't it? Uh, You you want fairness. Uh, You may even want retribution. But this is certainly not a time to be caring for the soul of the other person. But Jesus says, yes, it is. And by the way, all those other uh, needs that we have, they'll be taken care of. Things will fall into place over time. But in church discipline, the, the central motive is, and it always is this, the restoration of a wayward sinner. Uh, and once we understand that, I think then we're ready to engage in the process. Now, there are three aspects of this process that uh, I think we need to look at uh, here, not only to make sure that we have an understanding of it, but also uh, to try to have a conviction in our hearts. This is right. This is good. What the Lord Jesus, is not just a command that he comes up with, uh, but this is, this is what is needed for us and for his church. And so let's look at these three things. First of all, the process itself. Secondly, what it produces. And then finally, the power that is behind it. In other words, how does the Lord achieve His ends through this process? So the process, what it produces, and the power behind it. The process. What is it here? Uh, We read it moments ago. What is it the Lord is instructing us? Of course, with the goal of bringing back the the stray back into the flock. What are the steps? Uh, Let me start off by pointing to the obvious. That is, this process is all about confrontation to sin. It's all about confronting sin. Look at the first few words. If your brother sins. That's right there. That's what kicks off the process. So the implication is that within the church... Uh, that you see or you experience sin on the part of an individual. It's clear. Uh, There's not a question about it. God's Word is clear on it. Jesus is saying here that sin needs to be confronted in the proper way. And so here He gives us that way so that we don't wind up with a shipwreck. And he goes on to give us a process that consists of four distinct steps. Now, if you're a person, I talked about this this morning in Sunday school, who loves structure, you, you put together lists, maybe lists with subpoints, and you love checking them off when things are done and working your way down the list, and you're going to be right at home with Jesus' instructions. Because processes are used when things are repeatable when they occur again and again and again, and especially where we are prone to costly error in that area. Now, we've got both of those. Sin. 
among us, individual between us. It occurs again and again and again. Uh, and so there, there, there is a repetition there. And at the same time, if it's not confronted, and if it's not confronted in the right way, then we can expect it to be very costly. Uh, and if you spent much time in the church, you'll know something about, you'll know examples of this, uh, the costliness of sin left. Um, now, I, I do want to deal with a particular matter uh, uh, initially just for a couple of moments. Uh, if you're reading out of the New American Standard Bible or certain other translations, uh, then uh, those words right at the beginning of 15, there are two words that you'll find that are left out. I'm going to read out of the ESV. It says, if your brother sins against you, uh, in many other translations, it'll leave out those words against you. If your brother sins, go and tell him his fault. Um, and the reason for the difference between the translations is that some of the Greek manuscripts that we rely upon that are copies of the original leave uh, these two words out. And there's some of the important manuscripts, the oldest. Uh, and so it's possible that Jesus here was speaking more generally about public sin rather than just directed against an individual. Does that make sense? Uh, now, I don't believe that having those words, those two words, having them here or leaving them out makes a material difference to this passage. And here's the reason. At a minimum, Jesus is speaking about one brother or one sister sinning against another. That is included here, and as we go through the passage, that fits perfectly. But even if we were to take this passage, as uh, some do, as, that, as a process that includes general sin within the body, uh, maybe there's drunkenness or sexual infidelity in some way that's not directed against a person. Uh, we have other passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Timothy 1.20, other passages that support these key aspects of this process. Uh, and so although I'm going to deal with it here as, as someone who's sinning against you or sinning against an individual, but keep in mind that we can use this more, and we do, more generally uh, within the church. So I want to make sure that there's understanding there. So the process we have is very straightforward. Again, four distinct steps with a test at the end of the first three steps to see, do we proceed or is the process complete at this point? Uh, look at the first. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And the first key there is you must go. That's important. That you who have recognized the sin perhaps a sin against you, uh, that you must take the initiative and go and confront. Now, there is a, a measure here, if it's something that is, that is insignificant, if it's something that's not going to matter in the longer term, there, there are reasons, but the key is you recognize this sin and it's significant, uh, then you are to go. Now, notice 
You are to go in a, in a way that minimizes those who come to know about this sin. And that's true with every step of the process. In fact, this sin is never to be broadcast to the world at large. In other words, the, the more people who know about this, the more opportunity there is, the more temptation for gossip, for tearing down the church. And anybody that's been involved in these matters knows that there are also uh, often details that need to be closely held in order to protect the reputations of those involved. But keep in mind, this is not a process of punishment, but it's a process of reclaiming the lost. And so it says, just between you and this person, go and tell him or her their fault. The verb there means to, to expose, kind of to shine the light on sin. Say, this is exactly, and you walk through it, this is what, what has happened, this is what I see that you've done, is there a misunderstanding here? Uh, and, and maybe this is what God's Word has to say about this. Uh, there is sin here. In other words, clear communication. Uh, now remember, the purpose is never just to deal with a personal grievance, but it's that he or she might see their sin uh, and, and, and recognize it and repent and therefore receive forgiveness. Uh, now you see that kind of opened up right there at the end of verse 15. If he listens to you, it's good news. <laughs> you have gained your brother, you've gained your sister. So notice one thing there. You can't go to this individual out of anger. You've got to deal with your own anger inside first. Uh, anger almost always uh, is it's self-centered. It's upon me. I need to get retribution. I need to fix this. But Jesus here, He's looking out for your brother, for your sister's restoration. That's very different. And so that's the first thing. It requires us to investigate our own hearts. But then to go. And going is right. Now then, verse 16, But if he does not listen, uh, there's been a failure here. You've shined light on the sin. There's not been a response. If he does not listen... Uh, then it says, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now again, what's happening here, the exposure is being kept to a minimum. But at the same time, you need to have multiple witnesses involved. This comes out of the Old Testament, uh, out of instruction that was given out of Le Leviticus, uh, that there need to be, at this point, there's greater scrutiny it's taken up to the next level. There's greater scrutiny, more uh, people involved, but still it's a minimum. The, the exact number is not important, but a small number, two or three uh, with you. And these are not witnesses to the original incident that occurred. These are witnesses to this step that's taking place, to the discussion that's going on. Uh, and so this requires here that the accuser, that you... Uh, have a valid case that you have truly been sinned against because what are the, what are the witnesses going to do? They're, they're going to validate that you've really been sinned against so that they can give evidence to that fact. And they're going to do that first before they then confront the accused. 
And then they'll have the evidence there. They can lay it out before the accused and then call the accused to repentance because often that stuff's not needed if the accuser, if there's something that needs to be dealt with there. So the goal of this step is to settle it right here, to keep it from going any further. But look at verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, to the witnesses, those who have plainly laid out the evidence before him or her, calling him or her to repentance. This is saying, but if his heart is hardened and he refuses still, then, says, tell it to the church. Now, just to be clear here, in this step, the purpose is the exact same as it's been through the entire process. It's never to be a public proclamation. Uh, never to be some sort of of punishment for the individual. Uh, there is to be a, a sharing within the body, and it's talking about the local body closely held of what has happened uh, with admonition. Don't, uh, don't let this go outside of this. But why? So that they, as a last resort, can be a part of this, this attempt to reclaim the sinner and to call him back, to call her back, Notice, that's the key to all of this. What is it? It's an expression of love on behalf of first the first individual. It must be on behalf of the small delegation that goes, on behalf now of the church. This is it, to bring back the center, to unite the church, uh, never looking the other way when it comes to sin. Now think about that. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus has done for us, isn't it? Uh, he has, and we heard about it earlier, uh, He's taken upon Himself our sin. Why? That we would not be left in our sin. He knows the consequences of being left in your sin. It is the wrath of God. Uh, it is ultimate separation from God. Uh, judgment. And therefore, this process there, you, you notice how... We are being called to engage in that which the Lord is doing. Uh, and therefore, there's a call for repentance. Repentance is the key. And so that's the process. Uh, we do need to understand it. We do need to follow it. But what is the process doing? What is it producing? This process, when followed, is designed to produce a church that is operating, that is living day after day, according to the Lord's design. The Lord knows there is sin. Uh, yet, He has given us this process to help produce a church uh, that is able to, to serve and to look uh, as He has designed us to serve and to look. Uh, and so, this is what we actually see all the way through the New Testament epistles. Uh, this concern here, and Jesus' concern here is for the peace and for the purity of the church. That's what this process is doing. Now notice that with each step of this process, there are two possible outcomes. And it's only in the first step, uh, verse 15, where both of those uh, outcomes are explicitly mentioned, but it's the exact same with every other step. Uh, it's either that the sinner listens the word listen is used. That means truly hears. Uh, and there's, there's a heart involvement in it. And he, he, he takes that on board and he turns. That's the goal. Or secondly, 
that he persists in his sin, and then you go on to the next step. Now, it is possible that there are issues with the accuser, uh, but the second step is designed to, to work those out. So assuming that's not the case, consider what happens when this process is effectively used and, uh, and followed. Uh, the first step, that first step, that could be happening often within the church. Uh, think about it. Uh, people coming to others out of a concern, out of a heart of love for them, uh, recognizing the sin that's there, uh, and, and coming alongside and gently correcting, even at times rebuking, but shining a light on that area of sin out of a right motive, a motive of love. And always looking at their own heart first, uh, determining is there anger there, is there something here that needs to be taken care of before going to the other person and caring for their brother, caring for their sister. And the honest truth is, no, it's not always easy. No, it's not always comfortable. Yes, it does sometimes uh, take those escalations, the steps that are there. But often, very often, it's, it's that first step. That, and recognize nobody else in the church may know that. Uh, but you've got individuals coming to others, and what's happening as they come to them is repentance that's taking place. Sin is addressed. And it's recognized. Anybody here found out that you had sin in your life you never really recognized your own sin, but somebody else is able to recognize it. Husbands and wives are often able to help uh, with this. Uh, but it is true. We often don't recognize our own. Very often. Uh, we justify it. We do everything else, but we don't see it. This is the way God has designed the church to work. And husbands and wives are a part of that, by the way. That's how He's designed husbands and wives to work. Uh, not to just allow sin to continue on. Uh, but He's given this process here for it to be brought out and to be dealt with in the right way. Uh, and so that's what we're, we're seeing here, uh, that, that sin is dealt with, sin is taken care of, and therefore uh, the result is when this is happening and sin's being confronted, people's eyes are being opened, uh, and as it says here, you've gained your brother, you've gained your sister, and the Lord is pleased. And the church is blessed. And you continue forward in Christ together. And in this case, the process is working. The goal has been achieved. And sometimes with, with minimal knowledge of anyone else. And I can promise you that if you walk into a church where this has really been operational for years, uh, and, and it's really been happening, people have a heart for this, out of a heart of love, there will be this sense of of well-being and sense of welcome uh, within that church. This is God's design. Now, it doesn't mean, of course, no problems, no sin. No, but that's what the process is there to uh, take care of. But each step in this process has another side as well. And it's no less important. Uh, in fact, you may... Notice here, that's, that's the side that's really highlighted, as if we need to really hear this. If you look at verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along. 
Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, and a little further in verse 17, if he refuses to listen even to the church, as you proceed from step to step, there's greater scrutiny there, there's greater care to deal with any errors that may creep in, there's also greater evidence that this is someone who is set in their ways. This is someone who initially refuses to listen to his or her brother and then refuses to listen to this delegation that goes to him or her and then refuses to listen to a people gathered together, the body of one mind and one heart speaking into their lives and is still able to say, no, I'm right and you're wrong. So you see, as you walk through each of those steps, there, there's a greater sense there. No, this is a hardened heart that's being dealt with. Even as the whole way along, the, the, the intent is to win, win him over, to care for her, uh, loving them with the love of Christ, never giving up. But having gone through each of these steps, and perhaps some of them several times, because there's no limit on that, the final instruction is, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. His outward behavior clearly identifies him as an unbeliever. It doesn't mean that he truly is, but his behavior is that of an unbeliever. Uh, and the instruction that the Lord Jesus gives is therefore treat him as an unbeliever. This is what we often call excommunication. Yet again, not as a form of punishment, but it's really an act of mercy. Think about this. If someone has truly come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, which means by definition the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within, how long will they be able to persist living in a world and amongst a world that sees things completely differently for some time. I don't have an answer to that for you. But if they've got this inside, there will come a time. They can't continue forward. They're convicted of their sin. They recognize they've headed in this wrong direction. Therefore, they return to the church and this does happen. This is still for the purpose of calling back, of reclaiming the lost sinner. It's good. It's done out of love. But also consider what, what, what this does with the church. You know, as this takes place, and often in practice, when it comes down to practical matters, it doesn't proceed in this way. Often it, this, this individual... Uh, will leave on their own and they'll, they'll go elsewhere. Uh, but as this takes place, the scourge of sin that was there is removed. And perhaps the veneer of, of godliness that was there that was saying, you know, really good. This relationship with the Lord is, is right. It's there. That, that, that doesn't persist uh, that's the kind of thing that works its way throughout the church and begins to tear down the very fabric of the church. And so that is removed. The honor of Christ is upheld. And the wrath of God is averted. If you're wondering about that, you can go to 
Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and see uh, what the Lord Jesus says about sin that remains within the church. But what's happening here? By this process and by the, the, the people of the church adhering to this, the Lord is maintaining the purity of the church. And by His design for the church, more and more it's being maintained as a holy church. So what Jesus is after and what we're after in this process is akin to those processes that I talked about at that plant in, uh, in Nevada, in Henderson, Nevada, the ocean spray plant, uh, a, re- a repeatable process that identifies certain problem areas. Problem areas that if they were left alone, they would continue forward until they tore down the very fabric of uh, in this case, of the church. They would hamper pro- progress. But this doesn't allow them to remain, but it properly deals with them so that a good product can be produced. And so that within the church, the flock is protected and cared for and stray are returned to the flock. Then the purity of the church is upheld and the mission of the church is able to continue. Just one more matter here. We looked at the process, looked at what it produces. What about the power? Where where does this come from? How are we as a people able to do this? Well, the answer, of course, is the power comes from the Lord. Yet He uses people. He uses fallible people so that this perfect harmony exists between what's happening in the church what the Lord has designed and what the Lord desires uh, from heaven. There are three verses here. Three verses. These are often kind of separated out. Yet they, they can't be separated out. They're part of this passage. If you look to verse 18, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We saw these same words, exact same words, back in chapter 16 uh, when Jesus first spoke about the church that he was instituting. Remember, Peter made his great confession and uh, the Lord said he was, he was going to plant his, his church on a solid foundation. And he used those same words and they have the same basic meaning here. Now, Jesus is speaking here to the church. And in particular, remember, he's speaking to the disciples He's speaking to leadership within the church, and he's saying, as you follow my instructions, as you follow the process that I've laid down for you, you carry out this extremely important process of church discipline. Recognize what you're doing. You're operating under my authority, my power that I have granted you. Now, he's not saying here, of course, that the church is able to make decisions that then become binding to God. It's nothing like that. But as the church follows His guidance, His decisions will be those that are already made in heaven and they're being made here. And there's a sense in which that's very comforting to us. That the Lord God, His power is at work within the church as we follow the process that He's given here. And He says... I'm pleased with you. You're doing the right thing. And you're taking care 
of that which is mine, my church. And therefore, the right product will be produced. Uh, and I am the one who is, is providing for that. The power comes from him. And look at how this must be done. Look at verses 19 and 20. He says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, I've got to repeat here. This instruction that's being given, this instruction, especially on prayer, is clearly a part of this passage. Now, I, I, if you've been in the church for very long, you, you've heard this used in a separate context, uh, especially that last verse where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am among them. I'm not going to say that can't be used when we gather for prayer. There is, there is a particular uh, power of the Lord when we're gathered together to pray. But this is being used in the context of church discipline, this difficult area that's fraught with danger that must be covered in prayer. And so it's not done primarily in isolation, but with people gathered together in these different groups that are described here. This, this is speaking about people's eternal destinies uh, and the peace and the purity of the church. And so prayer is critical at every point. But at the same time, notice this is a statement of comfort. Uh, we read here that the Lord Jesus is present among His people in a, in a special way at this time when, when the unity and the purity of the people are at stake and when the church is taking up this matter of discipline. Very important. Focusing upon this especially individual who has gone astray and, and needs to care for her. Why would we not be a people of prayer? that are praying continually for this individual, for what we're doing, that we will have the right hearts as we go through. And so therefore, he says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am among you. Continue to do what you're doing and what I've called you to do. And so what we need to see, I think, through this entire passage is the love of the Lord for His people. And that that is at the, at the heart of this task of church discipline, even with all of its challenges. But this is a clear expression of Jesus' love. Uh, in this process, Jesus is continuing that work of the gospel. That work of the gospel that must be there continually throughout the life of the church is not just there at the beginning point when someone comes to faith and they, they hear the gospel and they uh, come in faith to the Lord Jesus but then the gospel continues. It's continuing to do, do its work. And notice at the heart of this process is exactly that. It's people, whether it's the accuser or the accused or other uh, uh, participants who are depending upon the Lord Jesus to recognize indwelling sin, whether it's ours or others, and to deal with that sin and to recognize it's only the Lord Jesus who atones, is able to atone for that sin. And so we do that collectively as a church. And we're reminded as we see others who are sinners, we're reminded that we ourselves are no different. They must humble themselves before Christ. At the same time, we must humble ourselves before Christ continually. That's what the process is all about. You know, as Martin Luther 
famously said, you've heard it many times here, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, He willed the entire life of the believer to be one of repentance. That's what we see in this uh, discipline process, is this call for repentance. Repentance. That we might see the Lord in the right way, that we might together walk as a body in the right way, and that we might be able to serve Him as that light on the hill. Uh, Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You this morning for Your uh, provision for us. Uh, We thank You that in Your Word that there is... There are places that are challenging to understand, but so many where we really need it, there is such clarity that is given. So we thank you for that this morning, Uh, yet we recognize in our own hearts that this can be difficult to follow, to go to another and to call out sin, to make it clear. Help us, Lord, to be a church, a people, where this is practiced often where we look to you and we depend upon you, where we recognize that you have provided for this, uh, where we care for one another in this way, uh, and where we take what you've given and we walk through it. We do pray for your help. Give us now understanding of these things. And even in the next few days, uh, help us to uh, recall this often and uh, to see our need to engage in this, whether for leaders Uh, for uh, uh, members throughout the body. Uh, Help us to see that which you have given to us. We pray this in Christ's name.